Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts, and today we are so excited to welcome Heidi Fajardo to the podcast, who is joining us remotely from Manila in the Philippines. Welcome, Heidi. We're so glad you're here. Yes, I'm so happy to be here, and it's my pleasure to be talking to you today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we're thrilled that with technology, we can bridge the gap of the time zones and the distance between (laughs) us. So we're excited to have Heidi. As an introduction, Heidi is the Area Communication Director in the Philippines. And this is an especially special episode for me because I served as a full-time missionary for the church in Cebu, Philippines, which is where Heidi was born and raised. So it's been really fun to prepare for this and to talk with Heidi. So to introduce a little bit about her, her parents joined the church in the 1970s when she was just a few months old. So she's been a member of the church almost all of her life. She is a licensed architect and is married to an engineer, and together they started a construction company before they were even married. And Heidi has also taught architecture at the university level and was an editor for a magazine at the university. Her connection with communications began in the church when she was just 18. She served in public affairs callings or as a volunteer beginning when she was 18 for almost 30 years before she was hired as the communication director in 2011. And she and her husband have three children, and together they also started a school for children with autism, the first in Cebu, after their eldest daughter was diagnosed with autism. So we're excited to hear more about that and the other things you've done together with your husband. So again, welcome, Heidi. We're happy that you're here. Yeah, I'm excited as we're going along in this interview So we thought it would be fun for listeners to learn just a little bit more about the Philippines where Heidi lives and works. So Heidi, can you share maybe just a few fun facts with us about the Philippines that maybe not everyone knows about this country in Southeast Asia? Sure. So Philippines is made up of 1,107 islands. It's the only Christian nation in Asia, and more than 85% of the population is Roman Catholic. It is the 13th most populous in the world with 108 million people. So the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was officially established in the Philippines in the early 60s, and growth has been rapid. There are now more than 803,000 members in the Philippines with 115 stakes, 23 missions, two completed temples, two under construction, and two other announced. And one very interesting thing is that we will be celebrating 60 years of the church in the Philippines next year on April 28, 2021, which also happens to be the celebration of 500 years of the Catholic Church and Christianity in the Philippines. Thanks for sharing those things. I think it's nice to get a picture of the place that we're talking about and the people that we're talking about. So thank you. And I'm not very familiar with the Philippines, so that was really great. Heidi, you have such an interesting background, and we loved learning how you and your husband have developed such a partnership during your marriage, and even before when you started your business. That's so neat. So professionally, in your church service, and at home, you and your husband have really been working together. And can you tell us a little bit about what you've learned over the years, and why is your partnership such a blessing? Sure. 
one particular counsel my husband and I received when we got married was from the person who officiated our temple wedding. And he said that even if we got married, we are still two persons, each having our own thoughts, personality, and traits. But the important thing is that we are looking at the same direction, looking at the same vision. And that has proven to be very important in our marriage. And probably another thing I learned is that marriage is not composed of two, but three. And it includes my husband and I, and of course, our Heavenly Father. So it's like a triangle. So the closer we move up towards the pinnacle, which is God, and so the closer we will also become to each other. So again, this were very important to me because we were a young family. We were busy at work. We, were, we made sure we magnified our callings. So these two things were very important, as well as communication, as well as understanding that the husband is not a mind reader. So you should tell him your <laughs> joys, your sorrows, or if you feel down at the end of the day or you're, you're happy at the end of the day. So those are the things that I learned in my marriage. And I'm curious how you apply that advice, you know, even now today, as you we work in this very demanding job and your husband's managing your business, how you apply those ideas of especially that your own, you two are your own individual people and you have your own strengths. And obviously at the end of the day or even throughout the day, you work and come together. But I'm curious if you have more to say about how you apply that. Sure. I mentioned earlier, we were busy. We had um, our individualities. We had our work. But at the same time, we had family. And we made sure to magnify callings of the, in the church. So we were really supporting each other. And one of the things that we really wanted to do was to establish the church in our area in Mactan, Cebu. So being a young family, uh, my husband was called as bishop four months after we got married. So as a young wife and also very busy at work, I tried to make sure that I supported him and that he supported me. At the end of the day, what really matters is our family. So I recall that when my daughter was three plus years old, we brought her to a developmental pediatrician. This doctor had just arrived from Manila after a month of completing her training. So she was the first developmental pediatrician in Cebu. So as for my daughter, Pia, I already knew that she was different from other kids. So I already saw the telltale signs like delayed speech, no eye contact, and no pointing skills. So my husband and I, we made sure that we understood what was happening to her. And so we brought her to this doctor. And it took really a month to have her schedule. So she was assessed for two hours. And finally, the doctor came up with a diagnosis. She told us she had autism spectrum disorder. So at that time, my mind was suddenly on work mode. What should we do? How we could help her? What are the next steps? And also, I knew she would be special because when she was here four months old, um, more or less, I had a spiritual conversation with Heavenly Father uh, regarding this. So going back to the doctor, she told us that uh, there's an autism school or therapy available in Manila. In Cebu, there was not yet a school for autism because it was pretty new um, in our area. 
On the part of my husband, he took the news quite hard. He told me he would drive going to work and we just stop and park at the side of the road and cry. Oh. It really process of understanding things on an eternal perspective in order to accept the Jewish situation. As you may know, acceptance is the first key to intervention. So I'm so glad that my husband was able to arrive at that realization and was able to get inspiration and direction from our Father in Heaven to see things from an eternal perspective that even if we have frailties in our body, the body may not be perfect, but the spirit is always perfect. And that we could see each other again as families and be restored to our perfection. So we made sure that my husband and I, we started working to make sure we help her. So with the help of this lady doctor, she got us in touch with four other families who had children on the autism spectrum disorder. Uh, we finally decided to have a therapist from Manila come every two weeks. So us, together with the four families, we share the cost of the airplane and the teacher's fees and the therapy. So it was quite taxing for my husband and I to learn the program and implement her routine daily and teaching her constantly three hours a day to help modify behavior and learn concepts. So this went on for several weeks until our partner school in Manila said, this can go on like this. You needed to be independent there in, in Cebu. And so it was decided that along with two teacher therapists, uh, we would go to Manila, particularly me, so that my husband can stay and focus on work and the children and, and my child during that time. And when we were in Manila, we had to work hard and learn everything from sunup to sundown. So when we finally came back to Cebu, the five sets of us parents decided to form and open a school for children with autism and related dis disorders. It's amazing. And so we co-founded the Parents Reach Foundation. And so I am happy to share with you that until now, the school has been operating. So it's been close to 20 years at counting. Wow. In fact, um, there's a second center that has opened uh, prior to the pandemic. And so when I moved to Manila to join church employment, I gave up my contributing to the school through to the management, to helping out with operations because I had to focus on my work in Manila. But I'm always keeping in touch with them. Sometimes I join in their meetings in the evenings. So at the end of the day, what's really important or what gives me joy is not seeing the school grow, but seeing families being helped. Absolutely. And this also allowed us to meet with Divya since autism was very new 20 years ago. So we help inform the public on what it is. And we would share our family stories of our child, Pia, how we manage um, her, how we were able to help her, how parents, if they really have the desire to help, and because we believe of eternal families, we do everything to help our children, to help them reach their full potential. It's interesting, too, that you mentioned that you brought in your belief on eternal families, too that that helped drive your passion for helping your daughter and helping other children with autism. And I remember you saying that your father was first drawn to the church in the 1970s, learning about 
this principle, this teaching of eternal families. So I would love if you can share briefly his conversion experience and then also how you developed your own personal testimony of the gospel as a teenager and why that personal conversion is so important. Yes, definitely. So my father one time was outside the house at a weekend drinking with his friends afterward <laughs> with missionary friends upon him, particularly Elder Hop. So the missionaries did not stay long at that time, but came back another day. This time my father was in the house with the family. So the missionaries were able to introduce the gospel and my father was positively responding to them. So a glimmer of hope lifted the spirits of Elder Huff since he thought that there was potential from drinking outside to really my father listening to him. So my father continued to receive um, the missionaries, not my mother yet. So my father was really very interested and intently listening to the lessons. So when he listened and understood about the promise of eternal families, so there was no turning back for him. And so at that point, he was ready to be baptized. So as you may know, my father grew up without his father because his father died during the war fighting the Japanese in the mountains of Tapunan in Cebu. So World War II, right? Yes, World War II. So my father promised himself growing up that when he had his own family, he would take good care of it. And so my father lived up really to that promise and embraced the gospel and, you know, in fact, all of us kids are closer to our father than our mother, which is not the usual case. So my father, I miss my father so much uh, because he has died um, in 1991. So after he was baptized, my mother soon followed as well as my eldest brother. So that was in 1972 when I was about five months old. On my part, I grew up enjoying going to church, especially primary So we used to go to a rented building next to a radio station during that time. And there were still, I think, two units in Cebu. So I saw how the church grew and expanded. So amazing. And so when I was 16, I felt like I needed to feel the joy of the saints, um, similar to what Nina said. So I knew that there could be no other church for me, but I needed to find for my personal testimony um, what it was and feel the joy of the saints. That kept me going because despite being a minority, you know, in, in the Philippines. As a member of the church, right? As a member of the church, I knew that I really felt joy in the gospel. But I really needed more validation or I really needed to feel it for my own. Kind of a witness for yourself. Yes, a witness for myself. So when I pray to Heavenly Father and I ask him, I remember the voice telling me the answer, and that was, read the Book of Mormon. Uh, So right there and then, I started reading. And then I cannot let the book down. I was reading it morning and night and finished it in three days. So even before asking God if it was true, several times it was revealed to me by the Holy Spirit of its truthfulness. So if you were to ask me how my life was like before and after reading the Book of Mormon, I always compare it to a room. So prior to reading, I was happily contented in this not-so-bright room. So my gaining a testimony was like the room being lighted with a lamp with a higher wattage. Mm -hmm. So I started to open my mouth in sharing the gospel, 
and understood my mission in life. Again, several times I had conversations with my Father in Heaven regarding my purpose and direction as I exercised faith in His eternal plan for me. So in a way, I think it prepared me because when I was 16 and then two years after my father died, and it hurt so much because we were very close. And it was natural to feel pain. But my testimony helped me understand the promise of eternal families and that we could see each other again. So it's really true. The same belief that my father had for eternal families also became my source of comfort when he passed away and became my motivating factor in helping uh, my child with autism find her full potential in life. I think that's been such a beautiful theme in your life that you learned from your father. I loved that you said he wanted to take care of his family. And then that's passed through you and Mm -hmm. taking care of your daughter and then also all the families that you help. The incredible resources and services that you offer, I imagine, have been such a blessing to so many other families. And I loved how you shared in your personal conversion it really has set you up for your service now, I think, just being close to the Spirit, seeking for those answers. Mm -hmm. And you've now worked as a Philippines Area Communication Director since 2011. And I love this. You felt very prompted to apply for the position, even though it meant you'd be leaving your work as an architect, and it would require your family to move from Cebu to then Manila, where you are now. And you've described to us that one of the early lessons you learned in working in church communication was the need to develop genuine relationships and provide real value to those relationships. And so because of the Catholic Church's influence in the Philippines, interfaith outreach has been especially important to your work. So Heidi, can you just share some of your interfaith experiences and how these relationships have blessed us as a church and also blessed others? Yes, in the Philippines, uh, just like what we said earlier, 86% of the population are Roman Catholics. It's just overwhelming, the presence, right? In every way. that is true. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, from the time of birth until death, all the rituals are there from the Catholic Church. (laughs) So um, I remember the first thing I did in my first week of work was to browse through the directory and look for the contact number of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of the Philippines. So I dialed the number for the Episcopal Commission for the interreligious dialogue because I felt that that was where we could come in and build relations. Uh, when I arrived in the office, I realized that the relationship was just, was just with one three in the Catholic Church. So I made sure that we worked through the interfaith line. Um, that's why we called the Commission for Interreligious Dialogue. And Reverend Father Carlos Reyes was the one who answered the phone because he heads this commission. And so in that beautiful conversation, and I believe that there are so many good people in the world, um, whether you're Catholic or whether you're evangelical or Muslim, there are so many good people in the world that, you know, it really makes my heart um, be really, really happy knowing, knowing this. And I love all the brothers and sisters that we have, not just those in the church, but also those um, outside the church. So going back to Father Reyes, um, it started with him inviting us to an interfaith breakfast with Cardinal Pablo. And so we became very active members of Uniharmony Partners Manila to that first 
interfaith breakfast. And you know, Cardinal Tangli right now is in the Vatican. Oh, wow. He has a very big responsibility there in the Vatican. And so um, we became active members of Uniharmony Partners Manila, which is a network of faith-based organizations. So the objective of this organization is to foster friendship and relationship that build trust and lay the groundwork for cooperation uh, between and among interfaith communities in the church. And we also uh, wanted to raise awareness on the um, sort of challenges and aspirations of the World Interfaith Harmony Week. So as we were working uh, with UniHarmony Partners Manila and several projects, one of these was the World Interfaith Harmony Week celebration. And I consider this one of the highlights of the group. In 2016, because of our active cooperation as a network of organizations, faith-based organizations, we won second prize from the King of Jordan. In the whole world. Yes, in the whole world. So we were very busy because um, Father Reyes said, you know, we have been doing this every year for a long time. And so, Heidi, why don't you cover all the videos and photos and make a report and submit it to the World Interfaith Harmony Week organization? So that's what we basically did, our office did. So we arranged for media interviews and TV guestings. We made a full report to the organizers of the World Interfaith Harmony Week. We uploaded videos on YouTube and made sure that we cover all the bases. So you, could you imagine our surprise and happiness when we learned that we won second prize. And I was doubly surprised when Father Richard chose um, Father Babao and I to accept the prize from the king himself, which was King Abdullah II bin Al-Hussein. So it was, you know, a very beautiful experience and unforgettable being a king's guest. So I think we've gone a long way and it's all because of relationships. When we build healthy relationships, when we arrange for our leaders, the priesthood leaders, to build relationships with leaders of other faiths, we realize that under the sun, we are all just children of God. No color, no race, no nothing. We're all equal because we're all children of God and we, know, we love the same things. We love our families. Mm-hmm. We just want to help our communities. We want to build a peaceful future for our children. I think it's so beautiful. I love what you shared about you can sense the joy that you feel in doing this work, right? You can sense the love that you've developed for these people and for the way that they live their lives and the faith that they have. And I think that's such a beautiful blessing for you and also something instructive for us in that building these relationships can bring so much joy. The joy is just there. And, you know, now that we've had that trust in the relationship, we can do and tackle more difficult things. The relationship has become deeper. We now try to check bills in Congress that needed religious freedom language and so consistent with the instruction of the Brethren of the Church not to go in a solo, but to make sure we go in a choir. We now form this network in a much stronger uh, way to make sure that we're able to tackle different issues. That's fascinating. Wow, you've been able to accomplish so much. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and you've told us too in conversations before the interview that you've seen that these relationships that you're building are really paving the way for the Lord's work to move forward in the Philippines and all across the world. And we're bringing value to these relationships, but we're also being so blessed because of it. And it's allowing the Lord's work to move forward. And an example of this, you've shared with us last year, Elder Cook of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles visited the Philippines, and you and your team made some swift, really remarkable arrangements for him to meet with the president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte. And there are some really amazing things that came out of this visit, but one of the most faith-inspiring things you shared that's just really touched me that I've thought on again and again is how some really sincere and genuine outreach from church communication staff in Washington, D.C. years earlier to a member of President Duterte's staff made all the difference, you know, down the road last year when Elder Cook was visiting and continues to make a difference. So we would love for you to share this story and what you learned, again, reinforcing the importance of building relationships. When we learned that Elder Cook was coming to the Philippines. It was in January of 2020 then, the Elder Cook visit. Yes. January just this year. And so that meant that we had less than a month prior to his arrival to prepare with two major holidays in the Philippines. That's Christmas and New Year. And when we say Christmas, it's a different story in the Philippines. <laughs> I don't know, Shailen, if you know this, but Christmas starts in the Philippines September 1. It's already started. Wow, I had no yes. idea. Yes. They've already uh, started the way, celebrating. My Christmas tree. <laughs> It's already up September 1. <laughs> when you go to the mall, September 1, the Christmas carols are there and all the Christmas trimmings are on display and best to buy during that time because it's on sale. Wow. <laughs> so we were working on this uh, in the middle of this Christmas and New Year. And, you know, protocol would dictate that requests for courtesy visits should happen three months in advance. But in this case, we had 15 days to move things. Um, and we wanted a miracle to happen. And again, because this is the Church of Jesus Christ, and this is His Church, and we know that everything will fall into its proper order, but we needed to get down on our knees and draw down on the powers of heaven, knowing that this was a directive from the prophet of the Lord, so we had to do it. And so we immediately went through our network of influencers to reach the desired opinion leaders and to finalize schedules. And true enough, what um, Carly mentioned about the Lord having prepared these persons in advance meant that we just needed to know how to listen so that we hear him. And so when we went through the process of making preparations, we were able to meet with the right people who made sure that we're able to arrange these things. So ultimately, by divine design, things came to its proper order. Uh, we met with President Duterte in Malacanang, where Elder Cook presented him with a Christus and a leather-bound copy of the Book of Mormon with his name in Boston. And so with that particular person, uh, Staff Duterte, who served um, in, during his stint in Washington, he was able to meet with Maury and her team and the Washington um, team, and the she was communication able, staff for the church, yes, right? In Washington, D.C. Yes, definitely. And so I'm so grateful because Maury 
really built a solid foundation in this relationship. So when we met with him, he had really good impressions about the church. He had positive knowledge about the church. So it was easy to work with him. And because of our relationship with him, and after the many challenges we encountered, you know, with regard to repatriation of missionaries, with regard to with how the to pandemic, I, right? During the pandemic. And it was really a struggle because, you know, all information come from Manila. And our missionaries were, were in the, the different areas far from Manila. So we needed to make sure that information reaches there. And so this person was very instrumental in helping us identify the proper government agencies and the proper persons in these different local places who could assist our missionaries to be able to travel to Manila without incident and be repatriated back to the U.S. and Canada and other areas around the world. So the, the Heavenly Father's plan is bigger than our myopic visions, you know, of how we really just wanted for the, for the visit to, to push through. Had we not had that visit, had Elder Cook not come, then we won't have established those very important relationships that paved the way for us to help and, you know, address the challenges in the area of the church during the time of this pandemic. So, so valuable. And it's amazing to kind of trace it back to, you know, an initial relationship that someone had with a member of the church. And it just kind of opened doors where they may not have been so easily opened. <laughs> it's just inspiring and motivating for me because it doesn't matter what our employment status is or position mm -hmm. is at the church. It's any relationship that we have with pretty much anybody could eventually reflect on the church. You know, we just need to be aware of our behavior and our attitudes and these interactions that we have mm -hmm. with those around us. And mm -hmm. I just really appreciated that story. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I think what's beautiful about this is you are so engaged in that interfaith work that you've shared the stories that you are providing value. Your relationships with other churches, other organizations are also helping them move their missions forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the beautiful thing about what the church is engaged in. And I love, as you emphasized and Shaylin emphasized, we don't always know the impact of our actions and we don't always have these great stories that tie up in a nice bow. We don't always know the impact of our outreach, whether it's just to a neighbor or if it's to a diplomat. But it's neat to hear these stories and see how the Lord really has a plan and he knows you know, what's down the road and what needs to happen. It's just neat to share those mm -hmm. stories. And Heidi, I've loved talking with you and learning more about your work and especially in the Philippines. And we see this all the time that the people of the Philippines are facing very real and serious challenges. There's typically more than 20 destructive typhoons a year and then so many other natural disasters like earthquakes and volcanoes and landslides. And many of the population face dire poverty and inequality. And it's just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. But being so close to it as you are, how have you seen God's love manifested despite these unfair circumstances? How do you know he is there, that he loves us and has a plan for his children? Yes, um, that is true. What you said earlier, Shailene, about the Philippines having several calamities in a year, it's a disaster-prone country. 
So in a year, we would have 20 to 24 typhoons. And then in between the typhoons, we have earthquakes and we have other disasters. That's so wild. And one of these that I recall was Yolanda or the typhoon Haiyan. So if you recall, just in one night, as listed in the newspaper, there were close to 8,000 people who died. Wow. So it happened on uh, November 8th. And remind me, what was that year, Heidi? Uh, 2013. And prior to November 8th, in October of the same year, we had an earthquake in Bohol. The church was also busy, you know, trying to address that particular situation when Haiyan came. And what was really heartbreaking about Haiyan was not just the number of deaths, although it was really heartbreaking, but the fact that this was a few days before Christmas and, you know, children and people were suffering. And I remember being on the ground, ground zero, a few days before Christmas. So we were there because we were sponsoring a psychosocial therapy for the children as well as the adults. And so we were bringing toys for the kids. And we also had um, brother and sister Goodson, who are based in Salt Lake, come to the Philippines to bring Christmas baskets. And, you know, in the Philippines, it's not Christmas if you don't have your spaghetti for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, so they were busy. We had volunteers come in, wrapping all the spaghetti, tomato sauce and cheese and the cream and the salad. And these were brought uh, all the way to Tacloban. Kind of the center of that typhoon, right? The impact. Yes, the center of the typhoon in Tacloban. So when you're there and then you see all this uh, devastation as if a bomb just blew up in this place, but yet you see children, people slowly building up their lives, members from all over the world just coming in together, donating, sharing their blessings, then you know that there's hope. Then you know that there's really goodness in humanity, that you know that God is watching over us and making sure that our needs are taken care of. So I think uh, leaders working together, listening to our Heavenly Father, and making sure that we do our best to help all of God's children, um, I know that the Lord will bless all our efforts, not just during that time, but ever since that time, um, I've seen the hand of the Lord amid all these calamities. And that so often we're his hands in those situations and that we are the means that others can feel his love and his care. And it's neat to hear about the organization that's within the church that allows that. And it's such a neat thing to be a part of. I think sometimes we don't. We don't always even know all the good that is being done. And that's not just at kind of the grand level, but also at the small level in our own local congregations that provide us the opportunities to reach out and be the Lord's hand and to relieve suffering. And even in small ways, just to bring people hope and happiness, like you were saying, just to give kids their spaghetti on Christmas that wasn't going to change. And the toys. And the, and toys, the toys, yeah. That wasn't going to lift them out of poverty and out of the destruction, but it was a way that joy and happiness could be brought into their lives in a really devastating time. And I think that's also a small lesson that we can learn, that there is hope that we can share. 
Heidi, is there anything else that you were hoping to share that's come to mind while we've been talking? So probably my last message would be, I'm certain that um, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ knows each one of us. They love us and they're watching over us and we should not lose faith, but keep that hope shining bright at all times in our lives. Thank you so much, Heidi. I think that is a really important message for us to remember. My husband and I were just talking about this, that it is a difficult time to remain optimistic and hopeful And yet, that's so important, and that's what the gospel offers us and promises us is that assurance, and it provides us with that hope. So thank you so much, Heidi. It has been so delightful to talk with you. We just wish that everyone could meet you and just enjoy the amazing person that you are. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Heidi. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. If you're enjoying hearing the stories and experiences that women share on this show, we would love to hear from you. You can take a moment to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please feel free to reach out to Carly and me with any feedback that you have or any ideas for future episodes. You can contact us at podcasts at churchofjesuschrist.org. Until next time, I'm Shaylin Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks so much for listening.